Hey everyone, welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. We are continuing the account of Noah in this week's episode, and we get to see how Noah and his family receive a fresh start filled with blessings and purpose, but as you'll hear, things quickly decline. Traveling through Genesis chapters 8 through 11, Chris Dew shares the reality of sin and humanity's purpose when we turn our focus on God. What is up, Vineyard family? I'm glad to be back with you. Uh, I want to pray real quick, um, and then we'll open up with a story and then hop into our scripture. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we need you. I'm weak, you're strong, God, and I pray that you would speak through your word to us, that you would change our hearts, that you would do something that only you can do to speak um, in only how you can do to each one of our hearts. God, move right now. We are open to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was 18 years old, I needed a fresh start. I was a heroin addict. I was in and out of treatment centers. I was trying to get clean. I was selling drugs. I was about um, a year out of high school and just was, you know, my whole life was in shambles and I needed a fresh start. So here's my plan. Uh, I'm going to move an hour and a half away from home and uh, I'm going to have a whole new place, all new set of friends, all new school, all new job, and this would change everything. And I had high hopes. I moved there and I was like, man, this is my opportunity. Things are going to change for me. And I'd only been there about a week or two. And I had already dropped out of school. I had uh, quit showing up to work. Uh, I was selling more drugs than I ever had in my life. And I was also on hard drugs as well. And I had this revelation is that maybe the problem isn't out there in the people, places, and things, yet it's in in me. It's in here. And I had this revelation of, man, like maybe the problem isn't all the things I think it is her and him and that person and this thing that happened to me, but maybe the problem is actually inside of me. Over uh, the past few weeks uh, that we have been looking at the book of Genesis, um, and we've made it all the way through chapter seven, and I'm going to try to cover in this message chapters eight through 11. So pray for your boy, uh, because Four chapters in a 40-minute message is going to be a slight challenge for me. But ultimately, what we've seen is in chapter one uh, that we see creation, that everything was made uh, that we experience and see by a creator God, that there is a God and he is outside of creation and uh, that he spoke everything into existence and uh, that our view of history is that he is in control. Um, And then in chapter two, uh, that we looked at the original uh, design. Oftentimes, the the world kind of looks like that it's all these puzzle pieces all over this crazy room. We're like, we don't know how these things piece back together. And uh, that chapter two is really like the uh, the back of the puzzle box of, hey, this is what human flourishing looks like. This is what life was meant 
to be like, intimacy with God, friendship with one another, and uh, that creation itself is blessed. But then chapter three, I wish chapter three was not in the Bible. I wish that never happened. And it was just chapter one and two. Everything is great uh, in Eden and like everything's great. But uh, chapter three comes and uh, that explains a lot, right? That there is a fall that happened, sin entered into the world. And now we're separated from God, have conflict with one another and creation is even cursed. Uh, but then in chapters four through uh, seven uh, is what we see is that uh, there's increasing corruption on earth, that Cain kills Abel and then it spreads and spreads and spreads. And then finally it hits a climactic point where, man, humanity is completely evil pretty much except for one man and his family. And there's this flood that happens, uh, but God in his grace preserves humanity through one man and his family. And that's where we're going to pick up here in this message. Is that we see a fresh start for Noah and his family. And it starts off well, man. So they hop off of the ark and things are well. The flood goes away and uh, they're like, man, let's worship our God right away. Um, and that's what we see in chapter eight. They hop off the boat and they're like, man, God, we want to offer you sacrifices right off the bat. That we know all those evil people aren't here anymore and it's literally just us and you. We're starting over. This is a fresh start. We want to worship you and uh, the scripture says their offering is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And ultimately, this uh, has the connotation of rest and tranquility behind it. That everything in the world is just restful. It's tranquil. It's starting off so well. And then let's pick up in chapter 9, verse 1. It says this, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read this, I'm like, that sounds very familiar. And if you flip all the way back to chapter one here in verse 28, uh, that we're going to read this, it says, and God blessed Adam and Eve. And he said to them, you be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. It's almost exactly the same words here in chapter nine. Ultimately, what's happening here is it's a fresh start, exactly like Adam and Eve had a fresh start and they were in Eden and have this command from God that he blesses them and says, hey, you be fruitful and multiply. This is also here in chapter nine. He blesses Noah and his family, and then tells them the same thing. You be fruitful and multiply. Now, uh, you know, this phrase or this uh, you know, command is called the creation mandate or the cultural mandate. Uh, you know, those two terms are used inter interchangeably. And uh, pretty much what it means uh, is that you're called to be fruitful and multiply, right? Have lots of babies spread out all throughout the earth. Fill the earth, cultivate uh, the land. 
um, and uh, to bring the culture of Eden or of heaven out into the entire world, uh, to tame all the wildness out there and uh, to make it like Eden, ordered and beautiful in order that uh, humans thrive and God is glorified. Now, this includes all kinds of things from families, homes, technology, hospitals and medicine, food and water, plumbing, art, music, even coffee shops, uh, sports, inventions, all kinds of things for the glory of God. He's ultimately telling Adam and Eve, and then here he's telling Noah and his family, go out and bring the culture of Eden into the entire world in order to make much of God. Things are going very well. Um, and then there's a covenant uh, between you know, God and Noah. And he's like, man, I'm gonna put a rainbow in the sky and I won't flood the earth ever again. And it's this beautiful, beautiful start. It is a fresh start. Yet it kind of feels like something's about to break. I don't know about you, but as I read this, I'm like, this sounds so familiar to Adam and Eve of their fresh start and man, things are going well. And then you just kind of get this feeling of something's about to break. It's kind of like the honeymoon phase of marriage that you come back from your honeymoon and you're just like, oh my gosh, we're so in love. I just love you so much. It's just amazing. Like we're going to love each other. Like I'm never going to get mad at you. Like, oh my gosh, we're never going to fight. And then all the old marrieds are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you give it three weeks, dog. And then we'll see how it is, right? That there's this honeymoon phase, except you know, maybe it's not going to last. And uh, the next section uh, that we're going to look at, uh, I'm titling it Another Fall. Another Fall. All right, so right after all this amazing covenant stuff, there's a brand new creation, kind of feels like there's a, you know, all these blessings being poured out and there's rainbows in the clouds. It's just like, oh my gosh, things are so good. Us and God, we're good. This is gonna last. We're starting over. And then let's look at verse 20 and 21. It says, and then he began uh, to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. Things are still going good. He made a vineyard, everything's good. And look at 21. And he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Now, I know that all of you listening to this, uh, that you are holy people and uh, that you, you know, aren't aware of this type of stuff happening in the world of, of you know, people getting drunk and all that. But I've got a past and I'm, I'm just going to explain some things to you. If you get so drunk that you end up without any clothes on, that's pretty drunk. Like that, that, that's like, that's absolutely over the line of what scripture says is okay, right? Like very clearly, if you get so drunk, you end up without clothes on, you are very drunk. And then let's keep reading what happens after this because it gets uh, a little worse. In verse 22, it says, and then Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. 
So scholars are kind of um, split on what actually happened here. Uh, but here's what we know, is that something sketchy happened between Ham and either his father or his mother, and uh, that there were some huge consequences for this, right? So a few options. And I just want to tell you, this isn't going to be PG. So if you have kids in the room, kind of like, you know, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it could be uh, that he literally just saw the nakedness of his father, right? He literally walked in and he was like, oh, wow, dad's drunk and he doesn't have any clothes on. I'm going to make fun of him and try to get other people to join in on this, right? I want to disgrace my dad and that could be all there is. Yet it could also be that Ham um, had some type of sexual encounter with either his father or mother here. And uh, scholars are split on this. But here's what we know is that it was sketchy and that Ham's son Canaan was cursed because of what Ham did to uh, Noah. Um, I want to point this out real quick. That this passage here um, has been used in history uh, to justify the slavery of Africans. Uh, it's called the curse of Ham or the curse of Canaan. And uh, because Canaan settled in uh, North Africa, uh, that some people hundreds of years ago uh, believed that this was the, uh, the justification of why slavery was okay in America. One, this is terrible theology. Like literally that's ripping this out of context. Terrible, terrible, terrible theology. And all of Ham's kids settled in Africa, right? And only Canaan was cursed. And therefore it isn't only Canaan uh, that lived in Africa. Also, I want to point this out. That as we understand, understood scripture more and more. Christians were actually the ones that finally said, hey, all slavery is wrong everywhere. And Christians were the one that led the, um, the civil rights and abolition uh, you know, movement in history. Uh, so this uh, horrible theology right here trying to justify um, is not the biblical worldview. Scripture clearly teaches all slavery is wrong. All people are made in the image of God. But here's what we see in this passage you know, mainly. Is that exactly like I had that understanding of, man, I'm going to start fresh and I'm going to uh, you know, move an hour and a half away from my home and it's the people, places and things that are wrong and I'm going to start fresh and then in like a week and a half, I'm selling drugs again and had the revelation of, man, maybe the problem isn't out there, it's in here. This is the main point of these two chapters, chapter eight and nine, that uh, the Spirit is trying to let us know through these passages that the main problem in our world is not out there, it's in us. The ultimate problem in our world is not out there in structures and systems and things like this, and it's in us. Uh, I have uh, the privilege of uh, you know, working with addicts a lot um, and uh, to help them 
to live in freedom. And uh, yeah, one of the things that we do is called a personal inventory. If you have heard of the 12 steps or have worked the 12 steps of AA, NA, uh, that this is step four. And it's a really cool exercise uh, because you write down in columns all the uh, harms you've done, all the harms you've experienced, all the resentments you have, fears you have, sex harms you've done, all, all of these types of things. And then you put like what it affected in you and who was involved. Uh, but uh, the real part of this uh, process that leads uh, uh, to freedom is uh, the last column. Because in that column, what you do is you, you know, write out your part in every offense. And ultimately what that does is that you know that, hey, I can't clear their side of the street. I can't help all the things that happened to me, yet I can own my side of every single offense. I can clean my side of the street. There's this awesome quote uh, that's really helpful to me. It says this, that blame is a language of addiction, yet a responsibility is the language of freedom. Yes, hard things are going to happen, and we can't control that. But we can control how we respond, and we can own our part in everything. Now, I am not saying at all that you haven't had some really bad things happen to you. I can't imagine the horrendous things that you've experienced and others have experienced. Yet, I am saying that if everywhere you go, you get high and drunk like your boy used to, I should maybe quit blaming others and look inside of me. Or uh, if you've had four or five, six marriages, and like every time your spouse is just a loser, man, they're just a deadbeat. I can't believe they, you know, treat me like this, that, or the other. Maybe rather than blaming others, you should look inward. Or uh, if you've had eight jobs and you just keep jumping from job to job to job, and as you go, you're like, man, my boss doesn't get it. They're so messed up. I can't believe my blah, 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 blah. Maybe Rather than blaming your circumstances, you should look inward. Because here's what we know is that the main problem isn't out there, it's in here. Now, there's two primary views in our world right now of what's wrong with our world. Uh, this is an oversimplification for sure, but I think it'll be helpful, right? Uh, the view number one is that humans are good. Uh, that we come into the world pure and innocent and good. And the problem with our world is the culture that corrupts. Here's view number two, is that humans are inherently sinful and structures and systems and organizations are perfect. All right, do you hear that? View one is that humans are good and out there is bad. And then view two is that humans are sinful uh, you know, yet everything out there, structures and systems and organizations are perfect. Yet here's the reality, is neither one of those views are true. Humans are not inherently good. Scripture clearly says that we are brought forth into iniquity, right? That we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yet because we're fallen, 
structures, systems, and organizations are also going to be imperfect. Um, and therefore, we don't burn everything down and say, no, let's start over, right? Because we know how that would end. Yet, we have to continue to make progress. I want you to picture this for a minute. Uh, that you, you know, are in uh, your prayer time today and that you get a visit from God. And he comes down, he's like, man, I just want to tell you we're starting over. You are the only righteous person in the whole world and you're going to start over. That, uh, that you get to pick seven other people uh, and that we're going to start over culture and the world and society and all those things. So who would you bring? All right, if you had that conversation, like maybe that's surprising. You're like, I'm righteous? I, I, I can't believe that, right? But who would you bring in your top eight old school MySpace days, right? Um, like uh, you, your spouse maybe would be on that list. Or maybe you're like, no, no, not my spouse. I, I think I'll start over there. Or your kids. Or you're like, no, definitely not my kids. They, I'll, I'll, I'll start over. Who would you bring? Would it be friends or family members, spiritual mentors? Um, I don't know about you, but Elon Musk, is in my top eight, man. I, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to have you know Kathleen and Evelyn, a few other friends, and then probably Elon Musk is coming because he'd help us out in so many ways. Whoever you pick on your top eight to restart uh, culture and the world, very quickly after it starts, it would be broken. Even if it's like, okay, that whole political party is wiped off the face of the earth. It is only people who look like me and agree with me on, on all the things are going to be here. It would still be fallen, right? Because the main problem is now there. It's in us. Or on the other side, if you're like, no, 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 that political party, I want to get rid of them. And we're going to start with all this party. And I hate that candidate. So he's going to be wiped off and he's the problem. And then we're going to restart over. It would still be fallen. Because here's the reality, is that the main problem with our world is not out there, it is in you and I. All right, we have a fresh start, and things are going well. Uh, you know, they get off of uh, the ark, and the flood happens, and they get off, and things are going well. They praise God, they worship Him, and then He blesses them and says, hey, go spread, fill the earth and subdue it, um, you know, and it's, it's amazing. It's the honeymoon phase, but then we see a fall. That uh, there's a vineyard and, and homie gets drunk, real drunk. And then something sketchy happens with ham. And then there's a curse. And what we see is that the main problem isn't out there. It's in us. Except then uh, this evil and corruption is spreading. Um, and then we come to chapter 11, and you've heard of the Tower of uh, you know, Babel before, and this is where we're at, at the Tower of Babel. Um, and let's start reading in verse number four here. It says this, And then they said, Come, and let us build ourselves a city, and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And if you know the story, what happens is that God comes down because he's like, man, this small little tower y'all are building, I got to come down to it. And uh, that he confuses all of humanity's languages 
and spreads them out over the whole earth. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read this the first few times, I'm like, I'll be honest with you, God, I, I don't really get it. Like, you know, they're just congregating and like, you know, they're going to make a city and a tower and like trying to do something that uh, that's, uh, they'll get honor for one day and be remembered by and, and all these things. So what's the big deal with this? Well, two things. One is that they are coming together to build up rather than God's command to go out in the cultural mandate. And then problem number two, and I think this is uh, the main one, is that their desire was uh, to make a name for themselves. Rather than spreading the fame and glory of God all over the earth, uh, that they wanted to be famous and to become known. I want you to write this down. Our purpose as humans, humanity's purpose, is not to make a name for ourselves, yet to be a blessing to the world. Humanity's purpose is not to make a name for ourselves, yet to be a blessing to the world. That what they're trying to do here in the Tower of uh, Babel is to create culture and to have a world apart from God for our own sake. And ultimately what this is called is exclusive humanism. It's, man, we don't need you, God. We can do it all by ourselves. And this is what the West is seeking to, to do. I um, mean, this is a distortion of humanity's purpose, right? Our purpose is to create a culture that reflects the goodness of God. And then here we see, and in uh, the West we see, that we are trying to advance the cultural mandate without God for our own glory. But here's the interesting thing about this, is that if you, you look at um, the core values of our world right now, that we are trying to build a culture on Christian ideas apart from the Christ. Hear these words, equality, justice, caring for the weak, you know, women's rights, all of these ideas have their root system in Christianity, in Christ. Ultimately, what we're trying to do, though, is to separate these ideas from Scripture and from Jesus and say, no, 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 we can build our culture on these things and we don't need the Scriptures or Jesus to, to do it. I, mean, I heard this analogy the other day that I think illustrates this perfectly. I love uh, to bring flowers home uh, to Kathleen and Evelyn. Uh, I normally bring sunflowers home and I'll cut one off and I'll put it in a small cup for you know, Evelyn and uh, that Kathleen gets all the rest of them. Um, and I'm just trying to, uh, to show Evelyn, hey, I love you. Here's how a man treats you, all those types of things. Uh, but, you know, I... Uh, it's like four bucks. It's not all that expensive, man. But those flowers only last, what, about a week or two? Uh, that even if you change the water a few times and you keep cutting them and, and you put the little food stuff in there, um, eventually they always, you know, wither. And I think that's what we're trying to do with exclusive humanism. 
is that we are trying to cut equality and justice and these Christian values away from the root system of Christ and place them in the water of secularism. And here's the thing, our culture, if we do this, will eventually wither. You cannot separate the Christian ideas from the Christ and its root system or else it will wither, just like those flowers I bring home. It's beautiful for a while and it looks like it's gonna last, but it won't. Uh, We're gonna throw an image on, on the screen right here. I mean, this is a sculpture uh, you know, that was done by Michelangelo in his 20s. Now, I don't know about you, but your boy was not carving sculptures like this in my 20s, right? Michelangelo is, is killing it right now. Uh, but ultimately that he sculpted this thing, carved it, and, and uh, that he put it on a display. And he snuck in uh, t- to the place where it was on display, and he overheard a conversation between you know two gentlemen and that they were attributing the sculpture to another artist and uh, that Michelangelo heard the conversation and he he just had this like freak out mode in his heart of man I've got to get credit for this these people think it's another artist so he snuck back in you know that evening and he carved his name into the virgin mary Um, I think we have a picture of that as well. It's going to be on the screen. He carved his name. He said, I did this. Michelangelo carved this in order to make sure that anytime anyone looked at the sculpture, they would know that he is the artist. Uh, But he went home and eventually he felt lots of conviction over the pride this took. He's like, man, I, I can't believe that I carved into this beautiful spiritual uh, picture right here uh, that I wanted my name on. I wanted to uh, have glory for it. I want to get credit for it. And uh, that night he vowed that he would never put his name on any of his other artwork ever again. And I think this plays into how our world is working right now and what this text is trying to teach us. As in the creation mandate, we are called to bless the world with all the goodness and all the beauty, yet we cannot want the recognition for it. We're called to bless the world with goodness and beauty without wanting recognition. Our aim is to influence, not become an influencer. That there were some t- studies done on on uh, you know, young people, on you know, what they want to be when they grow up, and a lot of them, a huge portion of people, want uh, to be famous on either YouTube or streaming or uh, you know TikTok. And it it sounds kind of like oh that that's that's weird. They'll grow out of that. But I think that we have to point out that the way of Jesus is contrary to this mindset. That, uh, that we're called to follow Christ in the sense that we are called to release beauty into the world and not want recognition for it. Our view of success has to change from I'm famous into I can make a difference in the world, from I'm gonna make a name for myself uh, to I'm just gonna be a blessing in 
the world. Our call is not to build up for our own glory, yet to build out for the good of others and the glory of God. So here's the question I've been asking myself and I want to challenge you with. In what ways have you been trying to make a name for yourself rather than being a blessing to the world? Fame will not satisfy your soul. Having your name on things and uh, you know, being uh, you know, recognized will not satisfy my soul. Our call is not to build up for our own glory, yet to build out for the good of others and the glory of God. Man, if the message ended there, I'll be honest with you, that would be depressing, right? We're going to have a fresh start and things are going well. And we see Noah like, man, they're blessed by God. Go out and be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And then homie gets drunk, like real, real drunk. And then something sketchy happens with Ham and there's a curse thing. And we see here that the main problem isn't out there. It's in us. And then it spreads and spreads and spreads. And then finally, uh, that humanity culminates and they're like, man, let's make a name for ourselves and let's build up. And then the Lord spreads them out, confuses their languages. And ultimately that we see that humanity's purpose is not to make a name for ourselves, yet to be a blessing to the world. So looking forward now, How does God respond to all this brokenness, all this rebellion, all this spreading sin? Well, let's look at verse 16 and 17 in chapter 9. It says this, When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it, and I will remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And then God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. How covenants worked in the olden days and in uh, antiquity is that it wasn't like a contract, you know, like we have here today, where it's like, all right, I'll sign my name. It doesn't really matter if I break it. Meh, I break it. Covenants were like way more serious. There was oftentimes a um, common agreed upon punishment that if either one of the parties in the covenant, uh, you know, broke the covenant, uh, that there were lots of consequences to be paid and uh, that they agreed upon this. And it's interesting here, uh, that as we look at this scripture, uh, the word in verse 16 that is used is a bow. And uh, oftentimes I think, okay, like rainbow in the clouds, it's pretty, it's it's fluffy, right? It's it's amazing, all the different colors are beautiful. Uh, But this word, you know, bow, is actually like a, a, you know, warrior bow. And uh, I don't know if if, uh, we have any hunters in, uh, you know, who are watching this right now, listening to this, but ultimately that I think it's very significant uh, that how God explains the covenant 
between him and mankind is a warrior bow. And ultimately that I think what is happening here is that the consequence on if either party breaks this covenant is that there's gonna be a warrior bow involved. Yet where is it pointed? Is that it isn't pointed at earth, ultimately saying, hey, if y'all break the covenant, judgment is gonna come down. Instead, it's pointed towards heaven. Ultimately, this, I believe, is a picture that if we break the covenant, God takes the penalty. If we fall short, which clearly we see that right at the beginning, they fall short, and you and I and everyone in between has fallen short, that our God, heaven, Jesus, will take the penalty for our sin. This is the gospel. Thousands of years later, Jesus would come to earth, the Son of God, and He would be crucified on a cross. And on that cross, all the punishment that you and I deserve is put on Jesus. If we break the covenant, God takes the penalty. How does God respond? He responds with love and grace and self-sacrifice. And then let's flip down to verse 23 real quick. It says this. So this is after uh, he gets drunk and Ham does something sketchy. It says this about Shem and Japheth. It explains that they took a garment and laid it on both of their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the, uh, the nakedness of their father. I don't want you to miss this. That Ham exposed his father's nakedness, yet his other two brothers clothed and hid their father's shame and nakedness. This sounds a lot like when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. How did God respond? Well, he covered their sin and shame. Love covers a multitude of sins. And here's the thing. Is it just like when Adam and Eve sinned and they were covered? And just like here, when he sins and he was covered, you and I, when we sin, are covered with the righteousness, the love, and the goodness of God. And here's another interesting thing. Is that Jesus is in the heritage or the line of Shem, who covers our sin, which is absolutely beautiful. And I'll point this out as well, is that every hero in the scripture had a fall. Everyone, right? Like you think of King David, you think of Adam, you think of Noah, you think of all these people had sketchy, even Moses, right? He kills a dude. Every hero in the scripture had a fall other than Jesus. He's the only one that is righteous. And then uh, let's flip over to Acts chapter two real quick. I think this is so cool. I hope you can uh, you know, kind of geek out with me about this next little point. But Acts chapter two, right? So after Jesus is crucified, he's put in a tomb, he raises from uh, the dead, and then he hangs out for 40 days, he ascends into heaven, and his closest friends and followers are scared little boys hiding in an upper room somewhere. And then what happens? Well, the Holy Spirit comes and falls on them. And they began uh, to preach 
the gospel you know, to all these different nations, all these peoples, and what happens, right? There's this whole idea of tongues there. I want you to get this. In the Tower of Babel, uh, that God confuses all their languages. All of them spoke, spoke one language and he confused them. Yet here at Pentecost, what happens is all nations, all tongues, all languages are hearing the mighty acts of God, hearing the gospel, hearing about Jesus in their own language. Pentecost is an overturning of the Tower of Babel. Here he unites all languages, all nations, all peoples into the family of God. And then he sends them out to go preach the gospel and make disciples. So here's my question as we close. Do you need a fresh start? Do you need a fresh start? And I don't mean like, a, you know, a halfway fresh start where like, all right, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to switch towns. I'm going to go somewhere else. No, no, no. I mean like a real fresh start. That I don't mean a fresh start where you're like, all right, I'm gonna have new plans where I'm gonna make a name for myself. I'm gonna be an influencer. I'm gonna, no, no, no. I just mean a real fresh start. Like coming into the kingdom of God by faith in the love and sacrifice of Jesus. So maybe your fresh start right now is that you're a Christian already, uh, but you've been blaming other people, that you've had some hard things happen, but here today that you're going to repent, stop blaming others, stop playing the victim, and take a responsibility for your side of the street and make a real change. That can happen today. Or uh, that maybe that your fresh start is, is that, uh, that you need to quit trying to get glory and credit for everything and just release beauty into the world. To quit trying to become an influencer and actually trying to influence for the good of others and the glory of God. Or maybe that your fresh start is that you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. And here today, you heard about the incredible love and grace of God. And that you know today that you need to give your heart and life to Jesus. Um, in any of those cases, please let us know how we can help, man. But I love you, Vineyard, and I'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God. And we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face to face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.